We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Nashville shooter targeted the private Christian school because it was not as secure as another location. We advocate for rapidly stopping the suspect, even if you have to go alone. Migrants waiting in Mexico to come to the U.S. set fire to mattresses and end up killing 40. They intentionally uh, unsecured our border and created the, the worst border security crisis in our lifetime. The Senate holds its first hearings into the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The real villains here, it appears, in Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other bank failures are the bank regulators. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Jim Barto. According to Nashville Police Chief John Drake, the shooter who attacked Covenant School and killed three nine-year-old children and three adults did so because a separate location that they were considering had too much security. It was the only school that was targeted. Uh, there was another location that was mentioned, uh, but because of a, a threat assessment by the suspect, uh, too much security, they decided not to. And that area was here in Nashville, so we're continuing with that investigation. The shooter, identified as Audrey Elizabeth Hale, a transgender 28-year-old, gained access to the church by shooting out the glass doors. Nashville police officers were able to arrive and kill Hale within 14 minutes of the first call. This comes as Nashville police have released body cam video of the Covenant school shooting response. Two different versions of body cam footage, both are very similar, of officers entering that school, responding to the school shooting. The footage is from two cops who shot and eventually killed the shooter. Officers searched the classrooms with a determined urgency before the sound of gunshots around three minutes into the six-minute video sent them sprinting up the stairs to the second floor. About 25 seconds later, the rampage came to an end with Hale fatally wounded. Jeff Broadus, founder of Broadus Defense, joins the Salem Radio Network and says that he is personally familiar with some of the officers who responded to the Tennessee shooter call. I think it's appropriate, first and foremost, to remember um, the victims and survivors of this, uh, that our hearts and prayers go out to them. Uh, That does have power. It does have meaning. And everyone should keep that in mind, regardless of what they hear uh, from politicians. I would say that that, uh, I have watched uh, the videos. I have, more importantly, spoken to people uh, sources with inside knowledge of that department's training program. I myself have personally had very capable, courageous uh, police officer students under my care from from uh, that particular department. And I can tell you that they have had alert training, which is our program, Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training out of San Marcos, Texas. It is uh, verified by the Department of Justice and the FBI as America's best practice in active shooter response. Rondis explains the training process his company has in order to deal with active shooting situations and stresses we should praise the Nashville law enforcement for their good work. It, you can see it in their actions. You can see it in their attitude. The, the operational priorities of first and foremost stop the killing 
by taking down our bad guy, uh, stop the dying by rapid uh, uh, point of wounding care and introduction of rescue task forces and uh, rapid casualty evacuation as a third priority. Um, I also see the ethos that our men and women in law enforcement uh, have when it comes to why they stuck their hand up for this job, much like a school teacher. And unfortunately, an incident like this, those two professions meet head on. They don't do it for the money. Uh, these are people that have placed their hand up and said, I will sacrifice my life for the innocent. Uh, that's our motto at Broadest Defense is we exist to protect the innocent. And when I see the actions of these officers, it reminds me of Scripture. Um, uh, the Bible says that uh, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Uh, that's from Isaiah. Yeah. And the only officers that I know they're involved, although there are many in that video, and I don't want to exclude any of them, uh, Rex Eggleton and, and Michael Coylar, uh, Coyar should, uh, these are people we should be talking about. I, we should not be talking about uh, these, these uh, murderous a-holes that go after our most innocent. Ronis goes on to say that it's imperative that law enforcement eliminate the shooter in these situations as quickly as possible. There are, there are three kinds of effective cover. The, we call it the ABCs of cover, and one is accurate return fire, <laughs> stopping the threat. One is your body armor, and one is the use of hard points of cover like buildings and, yeah. and earth features. So they, these guys did everything in the, in the book, as far as I can tell so far, correctly. We, we advocate for rapidly stopping the suspect, even if you have to go alone. We realize that this yeah. is one of the most important missions that we'll, we can go to, but the sanction for failure is far too, too high, as we've seen yeah. in previous incidents. Investigators served a search warrant at Hale's home about three miles away and found hand-drawn maps of the school, a sawed-off shotgun, and a second shotgun, along with unspecified evidence. Russia has test-fired some new missiles as we hear from Daybreak Insider's Lisa Dwyer. Russia's defense ministry says Moscow has test-fired anti-ship missiles in the Sea of Japan. The ministry says two boats launched a simulated missile attack on a mock enemy warship about 60 miles away. The ministry says the target was successfully hit by two cruise missiles, whose NATO reporting name is the SSN-22 Sunburn, which is a supersonic anti-ship cruise missile that has conventional and nuclear warhead capacity. Russia says the exercise took place in the Peter of the Great Bay in the Sea of Japan. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Late Monday evening... More than three dozen migrants died in a dormitory fire at an immigration detention center in northern Mexico near the U.S. border in an apparent protest of being deported. It's one of the deadliest incidents at an immigration facility in Mexico's history. It happened in Ciudad Juarez, just across the border from El Paso, Texas. The blaze broke out in that dormitory that had at least 68 men from Central America and Venezuela. The president of Mexico says those migrants lit their own mattresses on fire, part of a protest against their deportation. Como protesta. When they found out they would be deported as a protest at the shelter's door, they put mattresses and set fire to them. They didn't think that would cause this terrible tragedy. This tragedy happened near the busiest sector at the southern border. The migrants who died were just some of the thousands waiting to cross into the United States. And this facility is one of many in Mexico that are struggling with overcrowding. That problem is widespread in 
Ciudad Juarez, where just two weeks ago, a thousand migrants rushed this bridge trying to get into the United States. The El Paso sector, the busiest crossing along the southern border, with more than a thousand migrants crossing in every single day. This comes as Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified in front of the Senate in regards to the ongoing crisis at the southern border and the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. More than 70,000 Americans die each year due to fentanyl, which is primarily produced in Mexico using Chinese precursors and smuggled in across the southern border. Reporter Blank Berman says that the core of the Republicans' questioning on Capitol Hill on Tuesday centered on the idea of the White House changing its tactics on the southern border. Over here at the White House, we've been asking for weeks uh, toward the Biden administration whether or not they needed to change their posture along the southern border. That was essentially at the core of the questioning earlier today as the uh, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, was up on Capitol Hill testifying in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he got an earful from Republicans throughout. At one point, for example, Senator Ted Cruz was ticking through several stats showing a surge of migration along the southern border in the recent years. Now, Senator Lindsey Graham said the country is under attack from foreign cartels, noting that 70,000 Americans have died in the last year alone from fentanyl. He described that as, quote, the largest attack on American homeland by a foreign power in the history of the nation. Republican Senator Ted Cruz blasted Mayorkas for being unable to identify one particular item. What are, what are these wristbands? I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are. Mr. Secretary, you have just testified to the American people you're incompetent at your job because I've been to the southern border. And if you go to the southern border, along the southern border, you see thousands of these wristbands because the illegal immigrants wear them. The drug cartels, every color corresponds to how many thousands of dollars they owe the cartels. You have turned these cartels into multi-billion dollar criminal organizations. And these are modern day leg irons because these are children being sold into sex slavery and you don't even know what they are. That is astonishing. Senator John Cornyn of Texas presses Mayorkas on the fentanyl crisis impacting the U.S. We are bringing unprecedented force in the fight against And you're fentanyl. losing. The Let me gravity, ask you another question. The gravity of the challenge cannot be overstated. We recognize the gravity of the challenge, and I look forward to working with you. And you recognize you. that you were losing. I Look forward to working with you. No, Senator. that's not my question. Cornyn goes on to say that Mayorka should be fired. We are uh, climbing uh, out of a out of a backlog because U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services was financially devastated in the prior administration. You should be fired, but you haven't been fired because you were carrying out the policies of the Biden administration. Mark Morgan, the former acting director of Customs and Border Patrol joins America First with Sebastian Gorka and says that he believes the Biden administration is keeping the border porous on purpose. It's not just the fact that they intentionally uh, unsecured our border and created the, the worst border security crisis and national security crisis in our lifetime, in my opinion, but they're just flat out lying about it. And it's beyond spin. It's just blatant lies. We hear all the time, for example, uh, to go on this headline, that S Secretary Mayorkas says that he's developed a safe and orderly, humane illegal immigration process. It's a, it's a farce. It's a joke. It's a lie. How many more migrants have to die before we wake up and say, it's just not true. It's a fabrication. 
We know 53 migrants died of asphyxiation in, in the back of a tractor trailer. Yeah. We know a one-year-old just a few days ago was literally dropped off at our border. Luckily, there was a border patrol agent right there to rescue him. We know that uh, 1,500 migrants have died in the past 24 months at our borders. The 30% of young women and children are raped, are sexually assaulted, and countless are thrust into the life of trafficking. I mean, how many more, how much more suffering and lives have to be lost on the migrant side and on America's side before we say enough is enough? Morgan says that the White House needs to re-implement Trump-era border policies. Love him or hate him, the fact is that President Trump came from a position of strength and leverage. Look, this was a president who made it very clear, if you don't step up, Mexico, and join the game as the regional crisis that it is, and do your part to secure your southern border and increase your interior enforcement, we're going to do a little thing like tariffs. And, and, and President knew that that was going to impact the United States as well. But he knew how important border security was, and that was synonymous with national security. And it's that position of strength and leverage that drove the Mexican government, drove the president, Emlo, to, to uh, put resources like we've never seen before, Sebastian. At one point, he had over 20,000 law enforcement military personnel down to dispatch to his southern border. He increased interior enforcement. And that, along with our policies that President Trump gave us, allowed us to have the most secure border in our lifetime. It's just a fact. And now this administration, it's gone. All that leverage was gone on day one. Republican lawmakers in both the House and Senate have called for Mayorkas's impeachment over the crisis. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is pouring cold water on a proposal to end the use of force authorization that allowed the U.S. to invade Iraq. More on this from Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew on Capitol Hill. A bill that would revoke separate authorizations, one for Kuwait, the other Iraq, is gaining support from both parties and in both chambers of Congress. Senator McConnell is not among the supporters. In a statement Tuesday, the GOP leader said, quote, Our terrorist enemies aren't sunsetting their war against us, and when we deploy our service members in harm's way, we need to supply them with all the support and legal authorities that we can. McConnell has also raised concerns about Iran's growing presence in Iraq. Bob Agnew, Capitol Hill. On Tuesday, lawmakers on Capitol Hill held the first of two hearings into the collapse of what led to the second largest and third largest bank collapses in U.S. history and how to prevent something similar from happening again. In the markets today, congressional testimony on what caused the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Uh, when they did fall, it sent shockwaves through the regional banking industry, sparking a push for more regulation. The Senate Banking Committee today is set to hear from three federal regulators, including the FDIC chairman. And then there is a second hearing on the House side Wednesday. The nation's top bank regulators face tough questions from Congress about how Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank collapsed practically overnight earlier this month. The regulators defended decisions they made both before and after the collapse of SVB, particularly their unanimous vote to invoke the systemic risk exception to the FDIC's deposit limit. However, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts questioned if there should be stricter banking rules for mid-sized banks, and the regulators all said they supported more banking rules. Stephen Moore, FreedomWorks senior economic contributor, and writer at the Wall Street Journal, joins the Salem Radio Network and says he's concerned that further regulation on banks will only create centralized megabanks. I think people are a little calmer about the banking situation today than they were a week ago, but yes. we'll see. 
I mean, the market has been on a little bit of a trend upward and the banking stocks have done better. But I, it, it appears to me, and I, I pray that I'm wrong about this because, you know, I go back to Jimmy Stewart and uh, it's a wonderful life when you have the, you know, the little banking and, uh, you know, the building and loan. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it was a community bank. And what's happening is community banks are being swallowed up. I mean, basically the sharks are swallowing the minnows. So you have four big banks out there, including Wells Fargo, City, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan, and those banks are humongous, you know, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of assets. And I worry that we're going to end up with just four mega banks, and then they're going to be treated like utilities, like partners of the government. And I think it's a bad thing for the free enterprise system. Moore goes on to say that he believes the real culprits behind the recent collapse of SVB are the banking regulators themselves. Having the big, 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 big banks uh, run the whole country, because then what you get is this kind of incestuous relationship between big government, big business, and big banks. And that's not America. So I hope that that does not happen because uh, it it is just going to lead to more and more government control. The other kind of tangent of this story that I find really fascinating is that you know, the banking, where were the banking regulators here? There's no industry that's more regulated by, than banks, right? right? And so the law says, aha, we need more regulation. <laughs> the, bank, the industry is more regulated than anyone else. And what the real villains here, it appears, in Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other bank failures are the bank regulators who are just completely asleep at the switch. Turning to the Fed, increasing interest rates, Moore says that it's really putting a heavy burden on families who have been using credit cards to make ends meet. What worries me about these Fed rate increases is that um, as the interest rates keep going up and up, it's not just the federal funds rate that goes up, it's all interest rates that tend to follow the Fed funds rate. So mortgages are going up, and you're right, uh, the the interest rates now on credit card debt are going up to 20 to 25%. And so it's not just um, these companies that are in trouble. It's more and more households that are in trouble as well as savings rates fall. And again, just to square this circle, you know, why is all this happening? It's, it circles right back to the massive spending spree under Biden that, that unleashed the inflation, that unleashed the higher interest rates. And I hate to say it, but the chickens are coming home to roost. Tuesday's hearing was the first of two congressional committees that will hear testimony from Gruenberg, Liang, and Barr this week. The second hearing will be Wednesday at 10 a.m. before the House Financial Services Committee. A new indictment charges FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried with paying $40 million in bribes to one or more Chinese officials. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker reports. The rewritten indictment against the 31-year-old adds a charge of conspiracy to violate the anti-bribery provisions of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. It's the 13th charge facing Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF as he's being called, as he awaits trial in New York while out on bail staying with his parents in California. He's already pleaded not guilty to charges he cheated investors out of billions of dollars before his business collapsed last year. Now the feds say he paid the $40 million to Chinese officials to unfreeze assets relating to his cryptocurrency business in that country. I'm Julie Walker. This week marks the 59th anniversary of the largest earthquake ever recorded in North America. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on this story. 
It is referred to as the Great Alaskan Earthquake of 1964, and it was massive. The quake measured 9.2 on the Richter scale, and it demolished many communities across southeast Alaska. The quake lasted four and a half minutes and is said to have made the Space Needle in Seattle sway. Tasha Stevens reporting. And finally... Talk about your paleo diet. An Australian food firm has devised a monumental meatball from the resurrected flesh of a woolly mammoth. The mammoth is a symbol of loss. But we wondered, could this prehistoric creature also become a beacon of hope? The Mammoth Meatball. While the woolly mammoth hasn't been around for the last 10,000 years... Vow, the company that cultivates cells from unconventional animals, didn't let the expiration date of mammoth meat deter them from creating the frankenfood. We want to change everyone's conception of what meat is and what it can be. We do this by growing meat from the cells of animals instead of the animals themselves. We call it cultured meat. One of the scientists on the team explains how they were able to bring the mammoth meat back from the Ice Age. We first identified a mammoth gene called myoglobin that gives meat that meaty taste that we expect in red meat. We then use publicly available data to identify the DNA sequence in mammoth. We filled in any gaps in the DNA sequence of this mammoth myoglobin gene by using the genome of the African elephant, the mammoth's closest living relative. So we inserted the mammoth myoglobin gene into our cells using a very low current and high voltage charge. Then we continued to grow and multiply these cells, just as would occur in a mammoth thousands and thousands of years ago. Unfortunately, no one knows how mammoth meat tastes. Scientists are hesitant to try it. According to one scientist, they simply have no idea how the human immune system would work being introduced to a meat that hasn't been consumed by humans in thousands of years. Currently, Singapore is the only country where lab-grown meats can legally be sold to consumers. However, this past summer, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration declared cultivated chicken safe to eat, meaning it's perhaps not too long before this steak from Concentrate is on the menu. It's spent no expense. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcast.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Jim Bartow.